0: Good afternoon. It is Friday, August 13th. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group, and it is my pleasure to introduce our guest today, Baruta Regine. She is the author of Iron Butterflies. And I, I have to tell just a, a little story here because I, I am an avid bookstore lover because I, uh, while well, I love to read, I actually love the whole browsing process, and I am, I am an absolute... Uh, sucker for a great cover. And and this book has a, a black and white cover with little bits of green on it, but it's got a gorgeous uh, butterfly that is kind of peeking onto the page from, from uh, the bottom. And of course, the name is Iron Butterflies, and the subtitle is Women Transforming Themselves in the World. And I uh, was in an airport uh, a couple of weeks ago and just uh, browsing while I was waiting for my flight, and this book just jumped off of the shelf at me. And I uh, actually took a picture of it with my iPhone and uh, looked for uh, uh, Baruta when I got uh, actually to the gate, sent her a quick email, and by the next day she had already responded and agreed to be on the call. So, Baruta, welcome to the Executive Girlfriends Group. Why don't you give
1: us a little bit about your background? Well, it's good to be here. Um, yeah, I didn't realize it was Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that either. <laughs> well, we'll have to change that curse, won't we? Um, exactly. Um, well, I, personal information, since everybody has already shared some personal information, um, I've, I'm married and I have two grown children. And uh, one's in Germany. He's captain in the Army. The other uh, is, this is my son and my daughter is... Uh, works for Oxfam America, but right now she just had a, another baby. She's got two month old and a two-month-old and almost three years old, and she has really got her hands full. <laughs> oh, wow. She can't wait to have me come down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's but, when it's fun being the grandma. <laughs> oh, my God, I adore these little kids. So, um, well, you know, my background, you know, I, um, I, was a, uh, I had a private practice as a psychotherapist for... 25 plus years. Uh, I went to Harvard and got my master's and uh, doctorate there. Um, I was a visiting uh, scholar for a couple of years at uh, Wellesley, the Center for Research on Women. And I think when I look in, at in my career, I've been very devoted, sort of, to um, to women's um, uh, elevation in society. I think is been one way to think about it, and uh and 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 then uh I wrote a book with my husband, uh he wasn't my husband then, uh Roger Lewin, who's a science writer, and it was called The Soul at Work Embracing Complexity Science for Business Success. And although I whenever I use the word complexity, people's eyes just glaze over, but it's actually quite <laughs> an, it's quite an intuitive science. And what I love about it. Is that it's kind of a very feminine science because when you look at organizations as complex systems rather than machines, uh, things that you fix, complex systems, uh, the the nexus of change is in the interactions in the system, and and that is the source of emergence. Uh, So in a human organization. Uh, the agents are people, and it's the relationships, how people interact interact with one another, the quality of those relationships, it has everything to do with what emerges in, the, in an organization. And what emerges is the culture, innovation, creativity. So you know it makes perfect sense that if you're in an organization where people are distrustful, it's closed system, there's a command and control kind of approach to leadership. Uh, you're going to uh, have a kind of fear based culture. On the other hand, if you have a place where people feel safe and they feel they can be open, then you're going to have a, you know, a, a culture that's much more creative and innovative. Because, in fact, when you're afraid, parts of your brain shut down the, the ones that, are, that contribute to creativity. I mean, you, when you're afraid, you're in survival mode, you're not in creative mode. So, after writing that book, with my husband, it was a great project. It was really fun working with him, and I'm, I'm hoping we can do another project again together. Um, there are lines in the book where we fight over and say, "No, I wrote that <laughs> line," but you know, he's you know, he's, it's really surprising how well our styles of writing really blended that we even that we sometimes can't tell. um but in retrospect, you know, as from a complexity point of view, I realized, wow, women are really in a position to lead in the new, in the 21st century because, you know, all those skills—relational intelligence, a holistic view, uh, you know, empathy, uh, being able to see connections, being build bridges—all of those qualities that have been sort of marginalized and thought of as soft and touchy-feely are actually the very skills we need in the very complex, interconnected, interdependent global reality. So I said, okay, women are in the position to lead. The other thing I realized was, in retrospect, most of the uh, leaders we talked to for that book, The Soul at Work, um, were men. And they had embraced a more feminine side. I mean, one man actually had a pyramid, and at the bottom of it it said relationships. So not only did they... You know, were concerned with the financial bottom line. They were also concerned with how people were were relating, how what the culture was like. So, so I said, wow, that's interesting. They had a more feminine, masculine balance in their leadership style, and they were very successful because of it. They had a lot of resources at their disposal. So that's so that you know, I thought, well, what does this look like in women? Women are our future leaders. What are the what, what what are successful women? How do they have that masculine feminine balance? And I only had one criterion looking for these women. I started with business women, but it quickly expanded to many fields. You know, actually, eight countries, sixty women. Um, you know, uh, 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 Nobel Peace Prize winner Jody Williams, uh, Barbara Kingsolver, environmentalist, and. Uh, And uh, novelist, um, PBS uh, CEO Pat Mitchell, former PBS CEO, uh, Kim Campbell, former Prime Minister of Canada. All these women were part of the, you know, I wrote to them out of the blue and they said, yes, they didn't know me. But I think they really wanted to um, pass their wisdom on because they were very forthright in their stories when they told them
0: and did you have the idea for the book and, and then did you approach a publisher or, or because you were already published, were you able to just, uh, you know, talk about the idea and have them sign on for what you had intended to do?
1: Well, do you want the long version or the short version?
0: <laughs> I always love to hear this story because so many of us have have books inside. I, I've published a few rather painfully, and uh, have a few more still
1: inside. So I love to hear the story. You, well, you know, as you know, the publishing industry is really in chaos right now with you know the whole virtual, you know, internet world of mm-hmm. uh, you know getting information. So it's they're very conservative right now. But I my story with it is that um I had many delays. This book was ready like you know, I'd say maybe 3 years ago, 4 years ago. It was ready. I had wow. finished it. And I had found an a agent and you can't get to them without an agent, you know. And um and she held on to it, and nothing happened, and I took. I said, okay, forget it, and I had to start all over and find another agent, and then we had to find a, a publisher, and this agent had me re- write a 60-page proposal with graphics and everything. That oh, my time. goodness. I had written the book. I, at one point, after I left the agent, I said, I'm just going to write the damn thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so I just wrote the book, you know, and, and then I had to break it down, and... And so we found the publisher, and then the editor left, and they passed it on to another editor who didn't really get it. So he said, this is not the right publisher, and we started all over again. I ended up with Prometheus. The interesting thing is that um, that in, my, in the book there's a part when I originally wrote, I said we're in the transitional period between the era of man and the era of women, which is a prophecy made by Mayan, Native American, and Mongolians, which is kind of interesting that it's all around the world like that. And that it begins in 2010. Well, when the book came out, it wasn't the transition anymore. We were in 2010, because it it just came out in April. So I thought that was, I got, well, maybe, you know, maybe all those delays were prophetic after all, you know. Maybe it was just the right time for it to come out. Uh, so So it takes time, unless you're really, you know, a celebrity, you know, it does take time to get published. I hope that answered your question. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, it did. So I'm I'm always interested, uh, particularly when you interview so many people for a book. Of of what were the the stories that that really hit home with you that that just stood out the most uh, through
1: this journey that you've been on? Well, I mean, there I want to tell you the stories, um, and the, because the stories actually illustrate concepts that I think are really key for women, because the book is about how. Society has pretty much undermined women's leadership, you know. And now is our time to really make that, you know, to you know restore that link that women are leaders and restore that feminine skills are powerful. You know, and one of the things was that you know one of the only quality characteristic I had for these women was that I wanted them to have a masculine-feminine balance. So I didn't want women to have I didn't want you know what called uh, sperms with perms. <laughs> whom I call, Amaz- whom I call, I call Amazons, uh, because like the mythical Amazons who would cut off their breasts to be, be better warriors, these women had cut off from their feminine side in order to be successful. Nor did I want the self-sacrificing uh, traditional woman who I call shape-changers, who's everybody's support system but her own. Now, I don't disparage either of these. I've been both of them their uh, their creative adaptations to a society that's been based on domination. You either dominate or be dominated. So here's one story. So uh, so here's an Amazon story because one of the things um, that happened to some of these women, to, in order to achieve that balance, they had to actually go through a period of depression. Now, Deborah Rosada Shaw uh, was, was, grew up in the Bronx. Uh, she's a Puerto Rican. Her um, was very very poor, uh, and didn't seem like she'd have a shot at much of anything in life. And ended up um, building a company, uh, multi-million dollar company called Umbrella Plus. She was, you know, she had the fancy house, she had the fancy jewels and the car, and um, and she really was really you know toughed it out like a guy in, in in order to achieve all all these material goods and success. Well, at the at the peak of her career, she went into this incredible crisis. She says, wait a minute, you know, so is this what it's all about for you, Deborah, umbrella girl? And she went into a depression, um, and and I really have to say that if some women find themselves going through that period, please honor that pause because it may seem like nothing's going on, but a lot's going on. You're, chain, you're shedding a skin, and you're actually connecting to... Um, an authentic self, I should backtrack a little bit here. Uh, mm-hmm. The finding of my book is that iron butterflies are uh, uh, deal with vulnerability in a different way. I mean in a the, in the domination culture, uh, we think of vulnerability as only a weakness because you know you see weakness is something to exploit and diminish in order to elevate yourself. But these women actually were able to transform vulnerabilities into new strengths. And also vulnerability became a key, Uh, provided an opportunity for depth of connection to themselves and to others that was not otherwise possible. So it's this profound openness that can either, it can go both ways. And these women showed that you can actually have it be a positive experience.
0: Well, and the butterfly actually, you know, actually embodies that, which I, I'm sure is part of, of why you chose the butterfly is not only the name, but the symbol, because, uh, you know, I think we've all heard the story about, about the, the uh, chrysalis that is, you know, fighting to get out of the cocoon. And, and if someone actually rips the cocoon and, and, you know, tries to help it get out rather than letting it go through the struggle, it actually ends up dying. Right. And, and it can't become the beautiful butterfly. So I think that that's very poignant. that that That's the observation. And and I love, uh, you know, I think it's it's hard to think about cherishing depression or you know really honoring that. But but I think that it's it's in allowing those things to happen that we do become strong.
1: That's right. And it's in those vulnerable moments, if we can tolerate it, it will help connect us to an authentic self. You know, and, the other, and the, also, of course, the butterfly is a symbol of transformation. And I also think about the monarchs. The monarchs travel two thousand miles to their destination. I mean, talk about perseverance. And so <laughs> these women definitely persevered as well. Yeah. Um, so back to Deborah Rosada Shaw. So she's in this depression, but then she starts to listen to motivational tapes. That's you know that's her first thing she can really do. And then she hears that Avon has got a competition for Entrepreneur of the Year. And she um, and she applies for it and wins. And so then uh, when she's on the stage getting her acceptance speech, all the aspects of her life that were kind of all compartmentalized, the feminine, the poor, the masculine, all came into one being. And then she ended up writing the book called Dream Big and is now setting up networks for Latina women, young women, to connect with older women to see that their dreams are possible too. So there's a transformation from... Uh, from a place of vulnerability, and, and she, her connecting to her authentic self and the, uh, leaving sort of the Amazon behind. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'd like women to think about, too, is uh, that uh, gender schemas, and I'll give you a story on that, too. Uh, gender schemas are cultural assumptions we have about men and women, and they're unconscious. Now one one schema that we have is called, one schema that we hold is that women are first assumed incompetent until proven otherwise, and it's the reverse for men. So if a man is successful, it's because he's competent. If he fails, it's bad luck. If a woman is successful, it's hard work and she's lucky. And if she fails, it's incompetent. So if you think you're held to a higher standard as a woman, you are. You're not imagining it. And it's sort of the Ginger Rogers. Uh, syndrome where you have to do everything Fred does except backwards and with high heels. And so, um, so, I, it, so the way this, it's funny how this manifests because the interesting thing about it is that um, women hold this assumption too. So women may think she's competent, but she won't look at other women and think they're competent. Uh, and that may partly explain why we haven't been so great at helping each other up the ladder. I think that's really changing now. Uh, but it, but for a while there, I think that that's been part of the problem. And they did a what they called the Goldberg paradigm, and uh, it was it, a, it, this was a global test that they did, and they showed a piece of paper that had exact same words. It was a speech, and in one situation they said a man wrote it, in another situation they said a woman wrote it, and consistently the men were rated better. And higher and more powerful than the, than the when they thought it was a woman, but they're exactly the same words. So this is a battle women are often fighting that they don't even know they're fighting. And one way it manifests is you know you're sitting around the table and you give an idea. It's a mixed group, you know, and nobody says anything. You go, boy, I thought I had a good idea here. Why isn't anybody responding? And like, <laughs> you know, and 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 the truth is you probably did have a good idea. And then, um, the next thing that happens is like five minutes later, a guy says the same thing, he regurgitates it, and everybody looks at him and goes, "Oh wow, what a great idea." One of the women told me that she, she's in the uh, cancer research, and she come, came up with this problem all the time, and her solution to that problem was when somebody did that, she'd look at him and say, "Wow, thank you. I didn't I'm really glad you love my idea." <laughs> dealing with it. <laughs> But, you know, I will a, have to
0: remember that.
1: <laughs> but it's an interesting issue. I mean, and it's a tough one to bring up this idea of gender schemas. I mean, here's a story from Swanee Hunt, you know, the heiress to the Hunt um, fortune, who's a, a you know one does wonderful things. You know, she does uh, Women Waging Peace, and she teaches at the Harvard uh, Kennedy School um, uh, for Women in Public Policy. And uh, she told me this story about how they were all in this meeting. And she looked and saw the faculty meeting, and there was like 50-50 women. And the guy comes up, and and he's the dean, and he says, well, we're going to talk about leadership. And he says, and I've asked Joe and Bill to come and talk about leaders and talk about some of the students they think that demonstrate leadership. So Joe and Bill come up, and they talk, and they both talk about three students, all men. So the women, you know, this is like five minutes before the minutes meeting's over and not one single woman has said anything. And so, you know, Swanee, you know, has to get up. She's used to public speaking. It's not a big deal for her, but she's like, you know, it's taking all her nerve to get up and say something about this. And she says, you know, you know, there's something about the way this meeting was run that no woman has spoken. And here we are, we've listened to, you know, you, a man, introduced two other men who introduced six other men. <laughs> right. Know, we've, got to, we've got to talk about what we who we think are leaders and, and at a faculty level. You know, and her cheeks are burning, you know, and and you know and you know, she's thinking as she gets up to bring up this gender uh schema thing again, uh, that she's thinking, Well, you know, they're looking at me and rolling their eyes and thinking, Oh, there she goes again. You know, and we all kind of feel awkward in doing that. But I think women need to stand together in in raising those issues. And it's not about being a pest. It's just about raising consciousness. You know, because what you permit, you promote. So that's... Those are two ideas that I think are... I wanted to pass on to your women. Well, one of
0: the things I I love uh, and I I always share about uh, the books for those who haven't had a chance to grab the book yet uh, is a little bit about the layout of the book, and uh, you have used a, a, a mixture of uh, words, and then you know essentially what that speaks to you. And the first one in chapter one is is webs earning my wings. Uh, the second is uh, remember tracing her story. The third caterpillars close the gender gap. So can you give us a little little bit of perspective? Um, on, and, again, there, there are many more, but I wanted to just stop there for a second. Uh, you know, tell us how, how the whole uh, structure of the book came together for you. And, uh, again, you, you use a, a tactic that I frequently do, which is, is finding great quotes and, and starting each chapter with that. Yeah. So Tell well, us about your inspiration.
1: Well, be, um, well once I had this finding... The you know the a vulnerability, which is really like shaking a cultural schema. I mean, because to think of vulnerability as anything but negative was pretty earth, <laughs> right? Moving. So the book really, I, I you know, I was going to actually uh, name four sections in the book, uh, and um, but my editor said no, they they should be implicit. I don't know if that was really good advice or not, but I ended up listening to him. So the first section really is about courageous vulnerability about women standing up for the for you know as a collective you know like uh, against sex discrimination about having the right to uh, pursue their passions um and things like that courageous vulnerability is really uh, I love that idea I mean that's what if you're, we're going to change our world from a domination to a cooperative uh culture which is what the mission of this book is to recognize that that is happening, and that we can all participate in that transformation—that um, you know, that 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 you, um, from domination to cooperation—that um, we are all going to need courageous vulnerability to do that. Uh, then the second phase of it is about forced vulnerability, which I where talk about gladiator cultures, and that's really the domination culture that has, and then when it's morphed to really toxic levels. I don't know if I have time to talk about the gladiator defense, but I have a great story to talk about with that. Well,
0: I love I love that chapter because it's talked. Uh, the subtitle is dealing with mucho macho, <laughs> right. and I think we, we all have our stories about that. Yeah, so why don't you dive
1: into that? Into the story. And then yes. The, and, and then the third and then the third section is uh, the gift of vulnerability, which is connecting you to your authentic self. And the last section is the alchemy of vulnerability, which is transforming something vulnerable into a strength. So uh, the story about um, the gladiator. Okay, so the gladiator defense. So um, men are, we really fail to empathize with men in our culture, and uh, we expect them to be invulnerable, and we expect them to be heroes but not human, and this has really constricted many men emotionally. They're only allowed to, anger ends up to be one emotion that covers an awful lot of different feelings. Uh, So... When men aren't allowed to be vulnerable and they really don't have the emotional resources to deal with it or the social support, uh, what what some of them do is they develop a gladiator defense, which is if they're feeling vulnerable, they'll immediately project that vulnerability onto someone else. They'll make someone else feel the horrid feelings that they dread to feel. So sometimes, you know, women will find themselves in a position where um, they're really feeling really vulnerable. They so say, what did I do? And, then, and as women, we tend to take a lot of responsibility for relationships. The point of the gladiator defense is take a look around. Maybe this is not your vulnerability. Maybe someone is projecting their vulnerability onto you. So here's a story, and this is a great story. This is... Um, uh, Ricky uh, Burgess, who is a CEO of Australian municipalities in Perth, I had to go all the way to Australia to talk to her, which was great it 's beautiful over there um, so she 's been working in the she was one of, she was at a level of directorship and she was like the only woman there and besides the general Uh, discrimination things of, you know, having to ask for a car when the other guys didn't have to ask for a car. There was one of the guys that was really bent out to just give her a hard time. So he'd give her too much information or he wouldn't give her enough. He was constantly, like, just making life miserable for her. And this was going on for, like, you know, two or three years. She was going to therapy. She was a wreck. So... One day, she, they were going to be meeting, and she knew that they were going to have another showdown. So she was walking by the kitchen, and, um, and she saw a knife. So she went into the kitchen and took the knife and took the box of Kleenex and went into the meeting. And she went into the meeting, and she looked at this guy, and she says, if I have to use this, which is the, the Kleenex box, then I'm going to use this. And she points to the knife. He doesn't know where that came from. It was like a completely <laughs> intuitive thing that came. So this guy, who is such a bully with her, you know, just being a real bully and a pain in the butt, walks out of the room. He can't take the heat. Next day, he comes up to her at her office, and he's practically in tears, saying to "Can I talk to you?" And he sits down. He says, "Why do you hate me so?" It's like, oh my. God, what do you live on? <laughs> but what happened? What happened was that they had a conversation, and that relationship changed. Now, what happened was that he was really he was feeling vulnerable in her competency, and he was trying to keep diminishing her. You know, that's one thing I used too. Is Interesting. A lot of myths. Yeah, I was using a lot of myths in this book too, which is the story of Metis. But anyway, um, she and so he was making her feel small. But but when she actually you know, confronted, it was like the Wizard of Oz, it was all smoke and mirrors, you know, and then he actually got to feel the vulnerability he deserved to feel, and actually feeling it was a lot less worse than him fearing feeling it, do you know? (laughs) Absolutely. So that was where she transformed, you know, so that's an example of the gladiator defense and transforming that energy into something else.
0: Very interesting. Well, let me just share some of the other uh, titles of the chapters. I know we don't have time to go through everything, but uh, I know you guys will want to order this book. Uh, The next one is Tears, Heal the Hidden Wound, Split Vision, Dispelling Gender Distortion, Chrysalis, Shedding Self-Imposed Limitations, Bodies, Listen to Your Inner Wisdom, Divinities, Follow the Spiritual Light, Tilt, Accepting the Gift of Injustice, Relationships, Letting the Heart Fall Open, and Leadership, Cultivating
1: Feminine Presence.
0: So do you have one other story you'd like to share with us before we
1: open it uh, for questions? Well, I'll talk about the gift of injustice, because I know that makes people cross-eyed.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, actually, this is a story by Barbara, with Barbara Kingsolver, the novelist, who I think mm-hmm. is and And actually, this is a story about her new book lacuna Before, and this she was in the midst of writing this book uh, when I interviewed her um, so Barbara was one of the few women during nine eleven that actually wrote op ed pieces that said, asked the country to take a pause and think about who we are in the world how, how is our leadership manifesting you know and this is the middle of war drums and no. And, and no one's stopping to think about anything. Let's just, you know, let's just go to war. Um, she, so, and I guess a bunch of people, the newspapers asked for a counter voice, but not many people were willing to do it. Uh, so she did it, she wrote it, and she just felt it was her patriotic duty to bring another point of view. Well, she started to, I mean, she, they, it was like she, the way she pushed, because it was like I put a prick in this, balloon and it just exploded in my face. She started getting Mm -hmm. hate mail. Rush Lombard was saying to her, you know, buy a one-way ticket. Wall Street was asking them to boycott her books. I mean, it was like they tarred and feathered her and and dragged her across the nation. Mm -hmm. At the same time, people who actually knew her work really appreciated what she was doing, uh, admired her courage, and in fact raised a flag in her honor over the Capitol. But it was really a very difficult time for her. She was, like, pulling her hair out. What did I do? You know, did I really, you know, did what have I said? You know, after all was said and done, um, she, you know, she really realized that she had to say what she had to say. But during that time, it was it was a very upsetting time. They had to take special measures because the male was getting pretty nasty and she was starting to fear for her family. She has two daughters. Um and she was just trying to understand what was going on here. And then she thought, uh, for some reason, the book, uh, The Art of War, popped up in her, her mind. Mm-hmm. And that was about a samurai. And one of the things she remembered in that book was that you have to be big enough to include your enemy. And she knew that that was her answer. And that somehow that was an answer, that you have to have a worldview big enough that can include the very people that are trying to hurt you. And so she realized that the people, and this was a gladiator defense in action, again, except in mass. And, uh, and they were looking at her, uh, and she realized that these people were really afraid, and they were just looking at someone to lash out at, and she just happened to be someone that was quite convenient. But she was able to, um, so she did a kind of a Tai Chi move. She kind of moved with the aggression rather than trying to stop it and started to save the um, the hate mail because she felt like these people were really trying to teach her something. At the same time, she was writing a book that had to do with the McCarthy era, which is part of the Laguna book. I don't know if – Laguna, if any of you have read it. Um, But she was in the middle of writing that, and she says, you know, now I'm going to – because of this experience, I'm going to be able – when language is stolen from people and people are afraid and they lash out, um, she goes, I'm going to be able to write a book that I would never have been able to write before – so I call that like emotional recycling. She took something that was meant to diminish her and ended up enhancing mm-hmm. her. Very powerful. Um, I would like to open
0: it up to questions, and I have a, a copy of Baruta's book for whoever would like to be the first one to ask a question. How's that for a, uh incentive? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And if you're on mute, don't forget to unmute yourself, star six. Do we have any comments or questions today? Well, Chickie, it's
2: Cecilia. I'm off mute. I don't have a question, but I have a comment. Um, I, I think this is the best ed call you've ever had actually, as it relates to me, and just thank you so much for your for all of that because I I might be one of those people that's sinking into this little uh, change in the way that I look at things, and it was helpful to hear, um, I've been taking a little pause and stepping back from things a little bit, it was helpful to hear someone say, honor that need to kind of take a breather and connect with a different part of yourself, and that was the most impactful piece of the call that I'm able to walk away with, and, uh, and I appreciate
1: it very much. Well, great. I'm so glad to hear that. Oh, great. And
0: and it's interesting, actually, and Amber, I'll let you comment uh, in just a second. But it's funny, Cecilia, because I actually thought you were going to be the one to speak up. And this book uh, really spoke to me for what it could mean to some of the younger up-and-coming women leaders. Uh, And uh, for those of you who don't know, Cecilia is going to be heading up a new program for the Executive Girlfriends group called NextGen, uh, which are some of the younger uh women who who need to hear some of these stories of of uh, both struggle and triumph right so uh, go ahead berridy gonna... yeah
1: that i mean this really a lot of the reason the women were so brutally honest because they really did want to pass it on to the next generation uh because these you know yeah, the, um, yeah. It, I think it would be great to um, have women, read these, younger women, hear these stories because rather than telling them what to do, they can resonate with, you know, with what works for them and what doesn't.
2: Yeah, maybe you would be willing to come back and do a call with them when we get this all kicked off because I just honestly I was standing here and I was almost brought to tears just listening to someone say or hearing that other people kind of have had to kind of go through this. You know, you work so hard and you, you build your way up and then all of a sudden what's going on and you have to stop right. and i want to keep it at my same pace but i can't anymore and i'm you know it, it just really was reassuring to hear that yeah. i'm going to
1: be okay you really have to listen to that really and that's where the body speaks because you can you can be you have to be careful not to get sick if you've been pushing yourself really hard because that that pushed a lot of women into that pause also physically they couldn't do it anymore and I think that one of the things that you know that's different about this book, we hear about successful women once they're successful, but we don't really hear about their struggles so much, you know. And, the, and these women share their struggles. So yes, yeah, I'm really, um, yeah, Honor that pause and listen to your body, and and you don't have to know. Just be able to tolerate uh, the unknowing, you know, and the truth will emerge for you. Okay,
0: great. Any other uh, comments or questions? Well, Baruta, I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I haven't made it all the way through the book, but I just can't wait to dig back in and, and uh, to read the full uh, story behind some of these stories. And uh, again, this book is uh, just incredibly rich with uh Very, very powerful and very practical stories of women uh, who have faced just incredible challenges and who have transformed not only themselves but, but the world around them. Again, the name of the book is Iron Butterflies, and uh, we have it available on the Executive Girlfriends Group uh, bookstore, and uh, for those of you who follow me on Facebook, I'll be publishing that link in just a couple of minutes. So, Baruta, Baruta, I really appreciate it, and you are welcome back anytime to join an egg call. We are on every Friday at 4 o'clock, and we always have a special speaker. The topic varies a little bit from week to week, uh, but we uh, just really, really uh, appreciated you joining us today.
1: Well, thank you. Keep me in the loop and um and also I'll come visit my website, it's ironbutterflies.com.
0: And, Great. and I saw you also have a you have a Facebook page as well for the book.
1: That's right, I do. And um and if the book resonates, just pass it on. So Absolutely. Thank you again for inviting me. Thanks. Okay.
0: Terrific. Thank and uh, I will be turning off of the recording uh, because what's said on the egg call stays on the egg call. Bye.